Hello comrades, it's Rob Pine here. I am the champion of the underdog. Here at Champion of the Underdog, our goals are to share ways to survive, thrive and fight capitalism. Thank you for coming on board. Let's continue the journey. Welcome listeners, I'm here today with Paul Oberholf, political economist and proud member of Socialist Alliance. We're speaking today one day following the Australian federal election. Were you happy with the election outcomes, Paul? Uh, yes, in so far that we got rid of Morrison and, uh, and, and his government, uh, and they're no longer the government, and we've got a new government that is basically Labor. Uh, I don't know if they've got to uh, 76 seats yet. Um, that remain may remain to be seen. I haven't seen the latest count, but I'm uh, hoping that, you know, uh, with Greens pressure and also uh, other progressive pressure from, from working people generally across Australia that we can get good outcomes for working people. And one of the Greens in the seat of Griffith in Queensland, Max Chandler May, is a good socialist. So, um, look, I think it's good Labor haven't got a majority in their own right and there is that big crossbench. Do you think that's a good thing? Yes, I think it's a good thing. In fact, um, uh, as you say, one of the Greens is actually socialist-minded. And um, also, um, I think that uh, the Greens generally have a far better position on um, things like uh, climate change. Uh, I mean, you know, they're saying, let's, let's act by uh, end of this decade uh, to 2030. And uh, the, the Labor Party has just t- tailed uh, the, um, uh, the Liberals in saying, oh, no, we can, you know, punt it off to the future to the 2050 and, you know, we won't worry about it now. It was very um, disappointing, that small target approach where the ALP basically campaigned on uh, policies that were quite similar to many of the LNP policies. Yeah, because they, they, they're shit scared that, um, you know, the, the, the Murdoch press is going to come after them or whatever. Yeah. And they wanted to, they, you know, they, they were really scared that... Uh, that they were going to be painted into a corner like they were in 2019. Uh, but I think that the, there was genuine concern by working people across the board that um, you know things have to change because working people are so far behind the eight ball uh, in terms of their income uh, and also the situation in their jobs. Uh, the ACTU says that half the jobs are now in some dimension of uh, insecurity. Uh, and it's only the other half that have the good jobs uh, and pay and the holiday pay and being able to talk back to the boss uh, through their unions. So that's what what has become of working people. And people, working people know it. Their, their wages are slid backwards against inflation. Um, they can't afford a lot of things. Yeah. Um, you've got speculators in the a deliberately engineered uh, housing market which is pricing... Uh, housing uh, out of the reach of many working people. Indeed, indeed. And Paul, um, I guess the bit about the election outcome that interests me is we've seen some of the last remaining Liberals in the Liberal Party lose their seats, so they look to now be moving to a more conservative agenda, especially if Dutton's their leader. And Labor, as always, is moving to the centre um, and, and leaving behind any um, appearance of being a left party. Um, yeah. Do you think that makes it even more important for people like us in Socialist Alliance uh, and uh, those lefties in the Greens 
um, to build our political presence? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Albanese says that, you know, he's raised in a public housing with his mum and et cetera, and he knows how to, what it's like to be poor and, and um, bully for him. But uh, basically his party and, uh, and, and how he has led it um, mean that uh, they, ha- they have tried to be a small target right through the whole election. Well, that's right. And, and, pe- pe- and tail end the Liberals, in fact. People in poverty don't want to hear, hear how he lived in poverty. They want to hear how he's going to fix their poverty. Exactly. And um, I don't think he's enunciated much in that regard. No, I think he's, he's playing it safe in terms of the game plan that Labor had going into this election, and that is to present a small target, which means it's a small target for working people to try to push them in a direction that the Labor Party does something for them. Paul, you're, um, we're talking about Socialist Alliance here, the, the Australian political party, and um, for the first time in my lifetime, Socialist Alliance has run a candidate in my electorate. Um, many people throughout Australia haven't had the opportunity to vote for a socialist at this election. Um, what do you see, and how long have you been a member of Socialist Alliance, and do you think it can grow and become stronger in Australia? Well, Socialist Alliance um, has existed since the early 2000s, and I've been part of that process and, and I'm developing it as a party. Um, and I was also part of predecessor parties uh, before that, going right back to the 80s. So Democratic Socialist Party in the 1990s and Socialist Workers Party back in the 1980s. And uh, that was a sort of head-kicking, finger-waving, preaching uh, crowd that had a, a, a head-kicking newspaper called uh, Direct Action. But along the way, we learnt that, you know, you have to actually work with people. Yes, yes. And so we created Democratic Socialist Party uh, when the Soviet Union was going down and um, and also, uh, you know, people in the the West uh, were saying that socialism was all over because the Soviet Union had collapsed. Uh, I think the Soviet Union was an experiment along the way, but it wasn't the most sort of... Uh, fantastic form of uh, socialist government uh, and in some respects resembled uh, a fairly totalitarian way of, 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 of running a, uh, a, a socialist country. Uh, I think that um, you know uh, socialism should be about rule from the bottom. Well I think many of the young people today aren't burdened by the, uh, the Cold War and a lot of that stuff from the past and they're not particularly worried about the Red Scare, they're more worried about climate change. Yes, and, and that's why uh, Socialist Alliance today um, has a slogan, you know, uh, um, to, um, you know, basically change uh, change the system, not the climate. Yeah. And, and I think that's where young people's heads are at. Exactly, exactly, because uh, we can all do what we can on an individual level. But really, the climate catastrophes we're experiencing are a result of uh, systemic inequality and inaction by leadership, aren't they? Yeah, and you know it's why I, uh, you know, back in the '90s, I did a you know, political economy degree to understand the economic situation of working people, and that was that was a good introduction. Uh, but I followed that up by doing a master of climate change at the ANU, and I now um, convene a little group pressure group in Canberra called Climate Action Canberra as well as Socialist Alliance doing its own pushing on the climate front as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm also active in Canberra in some respects with Extinction Rebellion, who Excellent. actually get out and do do demos. So, 
in the two weeks of that uh, climate conference in Glasgow, uh, we had Extinction Rebellion doing things like uh, burning a pram out the front of uh, um, of the Parliament House with uh, a young woman uh, gluing her hands with super glue to the to the uh, to the tiles out the front of um, Parliament House, and as the pram burned, she said, "I don't want to raise kids in in a in a." You know, a, a badly climate change world. And in in a, in the normal fashion, the the right wing media panned that, but I thought it was a great metaphor and a message well sent. And I think most people would have got it. Yeah, I, and I think that um, the because the Labor Party has you know got this tail ending the Liberals with a twenty fifty target. Um, I think it we do have to pressure this government to do the right thing by people, uh, including on climate change, uh, as well as the circumstances of, of working people and uh, yeah, their economic circumstances, their housing circumstances, um, and and to make sure the NDIS works for people, you know, um, and I have a partner with an intellectually disabled boy and I've seen that up close. Paul, um we're both members of Socialist Alliance, and of course we encourage people uh, throughout the nation to consider joining Socialist Alliance. You can do so online. Um, it is the real left in Australia, make no doubt. But the other um, powerful force on our side of politics is what used to be referred to as the Green Left Weekly, and I believe they just refer to it as the Green Left. Now, you write for the Green Left. I guess you encourage people to subscribe online. Yes, um, you can subscribe uh, either getting a paper edition or um, get it uh, uh, as an email to you. Yep. Um, uh, or you, you can get it on Telegram. You can look it up on um, YouTube as well. I think the green left and the message it's sending is, is certainly in tune with the problems and um, the fears most people have today. But um, also, it's great when you hear positive things covered in the green left, especially stories from overseas, or or to feel that international solidarity. That's important, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I mean, I think uh, being a socialist means that you try to um, be on top of and understand, for example, where climate change or lack thereof is going across the world, not just in Australia, because uh, climate change is a global problem. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, you know, what's happening in terms of uh, uh, progressive change in other countries as well, uh, and how that might impact on Australia. Yes, exactly, exactly. And um, that uh, international solidarity, um, I guess I first come across through the union movement and the decline in trade unions um, has seems to have been a big factor in increasing inequality, and it all seemed to start with Hawke and Keating. And in, in, in income inequality seems to have just expanded every decade since. Yeah, my article on uh, not last year, but the year before, so we're talking 2020, um, I, I did my first article about uh, shares of GDP, and I basically did a Cook's tour of um, all the the systems that Labor did. So wh- whereas Whitlam told the unions to go for broke, which led to a 63% share of G- GDP income for working people, uh, that's now slid down to 50% and going lower. 
whereas pro- the profit share went up from 16% in 75 to 30% last year. Amazing. So uh, it's probably gone up since because of the JobKeeper handouts to straight out handouts to corporations uh, where they just simply pocketed the money um, and haven't paid it back in some cases. Um, but yeah. Um, Paul, I'll be interested to find that article and I think you should subscribe to this podcast because I'll certainly um, be reading it out here uh, once I find it on the green left. Yeah, basically what I did there was I, I pointed out Labor's role in the accord of basically getting the unions to pull their heads in and actually not go for uh, high, pay, high pay rises, and that was the start of the rot. It also um, disillusioned working people, so they started to drop out of unions. In that article, uh, I, I show the, the slide in the share of GDP, but also the slide in union, union membership. Um, I actually looked up the figures and um, and put it in, in a graph there. Um, <clears throat> and I think that, um, uh, you know, the Accord was followed by the Howard era where, you know, uh, Keating actually at the end of the the Accord period picked up on enterprise bargaining, which was basically getting unions to forget about industry-wide bargaining, which was their real power, and uh, and just bargain within within uh, employers, uh, uh, individual uh, companies, basically, um, which hamstrung the unions and led to worse outcomes, and that was being pushed by the Business Council at the time, and, and Keating swallowed it. Yeah. And then we had uh, Howard come in, uh, with, who put in a new industrial relations bill, which fettered unions even more. Um, he then tried um, in individual contracts on workers, to uh, and and he tried it in the federal public service and uh, in the industrial relations um, in department itself. Um, and after Howard, you know, lost it, the election in. 2007, um, the uh, our union in the federal public service, the CPA, community public sector union, looked into and demanded off the employer uh, figures for that in that department of of the individual contracts, and they found that only a few people got you know stellar pay rises, and the rest got uh, under under award pay rate pay rises. Paul, up here in far north Queensland, we get a bit out of touch with some of the um, industrial movement down south. Um, often, it seems like the ACTU will go along with um, Labor policies and go along for the right. Are there some truly militant or, or radical unions down there that, uh, that are really um, standing up for working people and maybe looking to look outside Labor? I think I think the CFMU is doing uh, a fair bit of that. Uh, there has been um, there's a there's a, a a new union in the last five years in the fast food side of things. Yep. RAFWU, I think I can't remember what it stands for, but the double F stands for fast food workers union. Uh, uh, I think it's uh, not recreation. Not, um, I forget what the R stands yeah, for. Yeah. Paul, it is frustrating because um, unionists today often feel they, they need to support the Labor Party. But of course, in Queensland, the state I'm in, for much of the 20th century, 
um, the Trades and Labor Council was an open state of warfare with, uh, with the Queensland Labor Party. So I just think that the Labor movement is not an extension of the Labor Party. And it's really important, you know, some of the greatest trade union leaders in Australian history were communists. Yeah. And, and the thing, like, my dad wasn't a communist, but he also said, with the communist son, he said, you know they're passionate and you know they're, they're zealots and they're not out to, he used to use the term, tickle the Peter. To, to, they were out because they believed in it. They believed in the advancement of the working class so they could be trusted as trade union leaders. Yeah. And um, I'd love to see some of those firebrand trade union leaders um, you know, really call the ALP to account, um, yes. especially over coming years as they're, as in, you know. Well, I think working people are going to have to um, um, find some of those leaders from among themselves exactly. and vote for, follow them up and sort of push them forward because uh, I think uh, there's there's um, a lot of union leaders that uh, are into pelf and place uh, and uh, their position in the Labor Party. Oh, I've seen that in Queensland here with, with union leaders, um, you know, doing the bidding of the Labor Party because they want to be the next Labor member for this seat or that seat. Yeah. You know, so they're just, it's all about their career path mm. rather than, as I say, that, um, that, that real faith in, um, in the socialist cause. And um, anyhow, I'm, I don't want to get too... Uh, emotional here it's been great to have you here paul and you'll be heading back to sydney tomorrow uh, um, canberra actually. canberra yep and paul people can best catch up with your work in the green left weekly yep from time to time i have uh, also written articles about um indigenous matters um uh in 19, 2019 um there was a indigenous inspired uh, uh event called the Corroboree Festival. Um, uh, Yaman Ganabaka Corroboree Festival. Uh, I think it means welcome to my home. Yep. And uh, basically that did a, a, a and, and, and attracted many dance groups from Queens, from indigenous groups in Queensland, New South Wales, uh, even as far away as South Australia. Well, so there, I watched this dance by the South uh, Australian uh, Naranjeri people of the Coorong, where yeah. which is at the mouth of the Murray River, and they there was this dance of young people sort of doing a sinuous dance like a river, and um, and this old man, long white beard and long hair, was with clapsticks was going. Uh, Barker something Kurong Barker something Barker is the name indigenous name for the Darling River okay um, you know um, named by some bloody explorer who wanted to ingratiate himself <laughs> with Governor Darling at the time yeah and um, and I think that that dance was all about the importance of the flow of the Barker to the Kurong wow yeah so anyway out of that I learnt uh, about a the conditions of the rivers at the time was basically Darling River was a, a bunch of uh, pools with blue green al yep. algae yep. and um, and uh, I remember when we popped into Volcania um, uh, a guy called Adams I can't remember his first name um, was uh, telling us as an elder that to to a bunch of we we actually organized a social science organized 
a solidarity tour. We were asked to organise that oh, wow. uh, for that festival, and we ran that. That it happened in Walgett, Brewarno, Burke, Wilcannia, and Menindee. Uh, five nights uh, in in those uh, you know sequentially through those towns, uh, a Crawberry festival each evening, and. Okay. Um, we managed to organise the food, the water for people, for about uh, two whole busloads of people. Anyway, this, this Adams guy was talking as an elder of the Wilcannia uh, Barkindji mob. Uh, they call themselves Barker, Barkindji because they that's their term for those of, who look after the Barker River, the Darling that is. And <clears throat> he said when they see that, that, that he, he explained that, Looking after the river is part of their religion. When they saw the river dying, it was sort of like affecting them personally. Mm. And the next thing he said was the average age in Mulcany is 37. Yeah. And everyone just went, wow. Yeah. And I was shocked. Yeah. Um, but out of that, we, we came to understand some of the issues with uh, um, Indigenous people. When the pandemic happened, the New South Wales government, the federal government just simply did nothing. In fact, they... When uh, the uh, New South Wales government wanted to redirect uh, uh, vaccines towards school kids uh, because they were coming up to their their um, HSC, yeah, uh, or whatever it's called these days, and um, uh, they pulled that out of the country areas, well. including Indigenous areas, yeah. And uh, so next thing, you know, a few cases get just got uh, COVID into the Indigenous population in New South Wales yeah. and way out west. And, it, and you've got housing overcrowding and everything else. Particularly in Wilcannia. Yep, yep. And, um, you know, next thing, um, it was sort of Band-Aid solution after Band-Aid solution. Yeah. Uh, to basically, you know, try to out-media the problem away. When it's all about listening in the first place, and I'm, I'm certainly proud to know that Socialist Alliance uh, listens when yeah. it comes to Indigenous issues, and I'd like to thank you, Paul, uh, my good comrade, for being on this podcast, yep. and I encourage listeners to join Socialist Alliance and monitor the Green Left Weekly and uh, continue the struggle. Yep. Thank no you very worries. much, and uh, bye for now.